Are you looking for a comprehensive and convenient online health fitness training platform? Look no further than Vikido Fitness Academy. With a variety of programs designed to meet your needs, this platform offers everything from weight loss and wellness group coaching programs to an emotional intelligence course. You'll learn what to eat in order to achieve optimal health and energy levels. You'll have access to exercise training, live coaching meetups with myself, Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe, and other instructors, as well as support and accountability throughout your journey. Whether you prefer to work out at home or at your favorite gym, Vikido Fitness Academy makes it easy to follow along with their programs. So get started on your journey to better health and fitness. Visit vikidofitness.com forward slash VDF Academy. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about research articles and hot topics. Our topic today is what's new? Hot topics number 86. A new study is showing that type 2 diabetics should switch to a low-carb, plant-based diet to boost longevity and lifespan. Is that even possible? Obesity experts say that Wegovy, a semaglutide, shrinks muscle mass. Is that safe or dangerous? And what should we do? The CDC says that there is a deadly fungal infection spreading at an alarming rate. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks-Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. D. Banks. So tell me, D., what's going on, my sister? Oh, everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything. You know, I was telling somebody the other day, we have jumped into, we have sprung forward into winter. We have sprung. How did that happen? <laughs> it's so cold. Yes, it is, isn't it? It was like it oh, just I know the summer solstice was what a couple of days ago. Yes, and... yes. No. Yes, and and here we are still having to, you know, have all our layers on, right? And duck when we go outside. And duck when we go outside. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's it. But hey, we are definitely here today, right? We are here today. Yes. We yes, are yes, here. Yes. And yes, this is episode 252. Wow. I know, right? Today, we're going to talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new? Hot topics number 86. And so a new study is showing that type 2 diabetics should switch to a low-carb plant-based diet to boost their lifespan and to live longer. And it's showing that it's the quality of carbs that you eat that counts. And so we're going to talk about which carbs are the best to eat. Obesity experts say that Ozempic, and what is that? Rigovi, Rigovi. the semaglutide. These are examples of semaglutide that's being popular. That's all you hear about now, right? Yep. Well, it's showing here that it shrinks muscle mass when you use that. And is it safe? The question is, is it safe or dangerous? And how do we deal with that if we are trying to lose weight? We're also going to talk about the U.S. The U.S. effort to fight HIV worldwide has brought life-saving treatments to millions of people. And these are just some of the articles that we're going to talk about today. And as per usual, we're going to talk to and ask Dr. Virginia D. Banks, our co-host, what is the latest germ or bacteria coming to get us? It's always something. <laughs> <laughs> to keep me in business. That's it. And so 
I know that she's going to be talking about the um, deadly fungal bacteria that CDC says is spreading around right now. And so she's going to talk about that and give us tips on how we can protect ourselves and what we can do. So we want you to stay tuned for this episode on our show. It's all about health and fitness. So what do you say, Dee? You know, it's you, you just when you think you can take your head out of the water and be safe, here comes something else for us to be worried about, right? Here comes something else, but we're in good hands. You are our trusted messenger, my sister. I try to be. (laughs) I try to be. Yes, indeed. And so folks, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. It's all about health and fitness, Vicky Doe Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. Now, when you subscribe, you will be notified first when we post a new show and you will be able you will be able to listen, learn and experience our shows where we bring in other guests and talk about the things that are important for our health and well-being in our community. And as you know, we do not just talk about physical health. We talk about things that you can do to preserve your mental health as well. And we believe in the concept of total well-being, and that is having a holistic approach to healthy living. So make sure you do not miss any of our shows and subscribe today. And last but not least, go on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. Review of this show because that is how we grow and increase our listeners. And we appreciate you. And as always, what do we say, Dee? Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Well, Dee, it is officially it was um, Monday, the first day of spring. And as we keep saying, what you say, we spring into winter. We sprung into winter. Spring, sprung, <laughs> sprung, all that into winter. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're going to have to beat up oh, that, that um, groundhog. That, but that. <laughs> that, that, the groundhog's wife said he lies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the wife said he lies and the what? Well, he lies. Yeah, he talking said she stuff. She was going to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Where there it is because we there we, it is. We are definitely not in spring it's cold. yet. It I is know. cold. But yeah, this is the time where I look at all these boxes and stuff that Nate then uh use for get get all these boxes from Amazon. I'm like, what we all these empty boxes here for? All that shopping you doing? <laughs> is Me that too. you that's you guilty d? guilty is charged that's you d oh my god i'm like the amazon the amazon guy probably has just a job right here on colonial drive running up and down colonial <laughs> drive delivering stuff that's guilty. that's it that's it because i'm like well wait a minute why do we have all these amazon guilty. boxes and I ain't got nothing. I ain't got nothing. Guilty. <laughs> so Guilty. that's where we got to spend half of our spring getting rid of all those boxes. Guilty. <laughs> that's indeed. Oh, that's but yes, we do want to give, since we are the first to know, we want to give a kudos and a congratulations to you, D, my sister, for being Thank the you. 2023 Athena Award nominee. And so we are so happy. This award is given for all of the movers and shakers, the uh, women that are doing great things in our community. And we definitely know that you, as we keep saying, you are our trusted messenger, not only during COVID so we can figure out what we need to do, but for all the things that you've been doing many years you know, helping folks with, you know, infection with the HIV, all that kind of stuff. You have been in the forefront and we appreciate you. So we're so glad that you are a part of the finalists for the Athena nominee for 2023. Well, it's an honor. I'm humbled. I'm thrilled. And thank you for the nomination, my sister. Uh, I just, I, you know, I've been in this town for 30 years uh-huh. or 30 plus years now since 1989 uh-huh. and never would have imagined that, you know, I'd be one of these Athena, Athena uh, oh, nominees. Yes. And, you know, I think over the years as I've watched the women who, and you know, you were a nominee. We went out to watch yes, you. Yes, yes. Um, um, it's an honor. It's an honor just to be it a nominee. Is. It's yes. just really an honor mm-hmm. to be 
nominated for this because it really, you know, the women over the years that I've watched, in, in addition to yourself, these are all women who, have, like you said, have been movers and shakers in the community. And, you know, so often our women colleagues don't, sometimes don't get all the just due that they should get. Mm -hmm, you know, we, mm -hmm. we all, as women also find ourselves mentoring other women. Yes. Because that's what we do, reaching back and bringing up our uh, women mentees. No, you know, no, nothing against the men, but I think, you know, we still have some great, some strides to make um, with women and um, a lot of the technology and STEM and yes. all these kinds of things. Yes. So, yeah. so yes, kudos to you. And so, yeah, we, we can't wait until the big event happens in May. We're going to be there cheering you on, my sister. Well, thank you. I'm thrilled. <laughs> yes, indeed. So how was your week then, Dee? How was it? It was weak. Uh, I mean, it was weak. <laughs> that was my week. It was weak. No, you know, um, I had the... <laughs> I might keep that in. That's a good one. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking of. <laughs> that just blew out there. <laughs> Yeah, we're going we gonna to pass on the definition, but we might keep that in. We might keep that in. That just kind of, that just kind of flew out of my mouth. But anyway, yeah. Um, but, you know, on Sunday, I had the another honor to be, I was given an award, the drum major award at yes. Memorial Church for Women's History yes. Month, along with my sisters and colleagues, Dr. Tonya Farmer and Dr. Sherry Lovelace Cameron, yes. who just recently retired from YSU. Oh, did she? Oh, my God. Mrs. Jean Mason, you know, who's been a, a major person in our community. I think she started the Junior Civic League. Yes, she did. In her bio. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And also Judge... Carla Baldwin, yes. you know, our first black female municipal judge in the community. And she was all, she was there as well. So it was really an honor to be with these women and kudos to, to our link sister and my AKA sister, Ruthie King and her husband, Reverend William King from Price Memorial, everybody who, it actually happened to be AKA Founders Day in, yes. and they decided to worship there. So it was really good. And they had a, a woman who gave the sermon for the day from, I can't remember the name of the church that she was from, but she was excellent. You know, okay. another woman pastor. Oh, that's so nice. Great. That's yeah. nice. That's great. Yeah. Cause they're doing a lot of good things at Price Memorial as they well. They really are. Yeah. So yeah, that's good. They really, really are. Well, kudos to you, D. Kudos yeah, to thank you. you. So what is going on this week, D? Vicky, everything. Week. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Week. Well, we gonna keep that in the mix. We'll we'll do some ebonics. Is your week weak? <laughs> Oh, All right. Well, guess what? This is the ending of March, and we wanted to make sure that we touch on things that people need to be aware of because March is Nutrition Month. And this is awareness. It happens nationally every year. And it's each year the Academy of Nutrition and uh, Dietetics. You know, I always, when I go and talk and I uh, give recommendations, I always tell people to go to eatright.org or mm -hmm. eatright.gov. And so that is what we're telling people to do because that site, that website is founded. It was founded by the Academy of Nutrition Dietetics, and it has so many wonderful recommendation and nutrition guidelines for people to see. This month, every March, is National Nutrition Month. It was created to help people and to campaign, to help people learn about making informed food choices and developing healthful eating and physical activities. Okay, physical activities and habits. And so the National Nutrition Month is an annual campaign and it was created 50 years ago. So they're they are celebrating their 50th year. It happened in 1973 by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And so every year they have a theme and this year is called Fuel for the Future. And that's eating with sustainability in mind is a tasty way to 
nourish ourselves during every phase of life and protect the environment. And so a registered dietitian nutritionist can help you create healthy habits that are sustainable and celebrate your unique needs. So make sure you go to their website, eatright.gov. You will find videos, plenty of resources to keep your eating right and fueling, keep you eating right and fueling for the future. And they have some ideas here, you know, things that things that you can do at home, you know, to get involved with the National Nutrition Month. And so they have it. Number one, as a family, you want to commit to trying a new fruit or vegetable each week during during National Nutrition Month. But we also admonish folks here to make sure you kind of do that throughout the year. Make sure you kind of think of bringing some new, you know, I always say get your taste buds used Mm -hmm. to trying something new. Right. Mm -hmm. Number two, give family members a role in the meal planning and let them pick out different recipes to try. Yes, different recipes to try healthy recipes. Number three, plan to eat more meals together as a family doing National Nutrition Month. And I would say try to do that throughout the year. Practice right. that mindfulness too throughout the year. Number four, explore food recovery options in your community. You know, they have different places where you can go and get food. And now they have it where I'm sure every, what the second, they always do the second harvest bank they always have a big banquet for them to raise money but these these places all over now have wonderful places where you can pick up extra food if you need it and they're trying to be more healthy they're trying to be more healthy if you watch tv this is number five take breaks doing commercials to be physically active number six practice mindful eating by limiting screen time at mealtime including don't be eating with your phones and your computers and your TV (laughs) and other devices. I do that sometimes. I'd be like, what? Me too. I know. Number seven, try more meatless meals. Choices like beans, peas, and lentils. Every Sunday, that's our tradition here in the dough house. I always get a crock pot full of lentils and let it just um, cook and smell all day. It smells up the house all beautiful. And then we eat that. Yeah, lentils. These are all uh, versatile plant-based protein sources that work in a variety of dishes. And number eight, let everyone help with the food preparation, a skill for people of all ages. If you have little ones, if you have kids, there are age-appropriate tasks that they can help and enjoy learning to, to do. Last but not least, number nine, bring out the flavors of food by trying new herbs and spices and citrus fruit like lemon or lime with your cooking. And yes, I think it's great. Those of you, I will give a plug for Vicky Doe Fitness. We have a free download. It is, um, I will have to see what it is. I think it's www.vickydofitness.com forward slash spices. You know, and that is a whole, you can download that and it has all of the herbs and spices, you know, some of the key ones that you can use when you're cooking chicken, when you're doing this, when you're doing that. Why? So that you won't be tempted to grab that salt and put it in there. You can get good tasting food with the herbs and spices. So that's something I will put in the show notes, um, the free download that you can have and go ahead and download that because that definitely can help kick up the spice. And so those are some of the things, um, habits and things that you can get involved at home during the rest of this month, the nutrition, National Nutrition Month. But we want you to carry on with this throughout the year. So make sure you go to the website, www.eatright.gov to get recommendations for healthy eating year round for yourself and your family. So what do you say, Dee, about this? Oh, I think these are all great. You know, the first one that you have up there, I sort of kind of do that. I'm a, And when I'm in the grocery store every now and then, I'll, one of the new fruits that I, well, not new, I was introduced to it when, you know, at Starbucks, they have these, these drinks, the dragon fruit. So okay, I found yes. some, I saw some, it's a weird looking fruit in yes. the grocery store. So I decided to try it, you know, and I said, oh, this is not too bad. It's not real sweet. Okay. So yeah, I try to do new fruits, papaya every now and then. Yes. My friends from 
in the UK from Africa uh-huh. always are talking about paella being, I'm um, not paella, but papaya. Yes. Paella is Spanish, just, but papaya being really good for the digestive tract. Yes. It's the GI tract. It so, works like ginger, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So, okay, that's good. Yeah, I got, I've got. i seen that. It looks weird. What is it? It's a very weird looking fruit, right? Yeah. But that'll be something. Maybe did you make it like a smoothie or something? Or you just I slice did. it? Okay. Right. I did. And then, and then I've done it with just having like some berries, you know, the low sugar uh, raspberries, berries, and some dragon fruit. And then maybe put a little bit of yogurt on top. Okay. And instead of using, you know, the sugar, we talked about that, the sweetener stuff. Uh-huh. I'm doing, um, you know, a, a maple syrup. The a little bit of, of maple okay. syrup that's or honey. Yeah. Fresh. Okay from the trees yes. um, as my sweetener. So yeah, that's, yeah, ooh, that, that sounds good. Fruit, fruit, and then the smoothie thing, yeah, for sure. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, we, we this was March and we talked about, you know, because you've seen, you've received some awards because mm-hmm. this is Women's History Month. You know, we are giving kudos to all the women out there. And so we want to do that, too, at Vicky Doe Fitness here. You know, this is March and it is Women's History Month. And so this is definitely something that we have to really talk about because they have a new exhibition they have it at the um, national archives museum and it's it's featuring in you know the well let's jump let's jump back the library of congress national archives and records administration national endowment for the humanities National Gallery of Art, National Park Service, Smithsonian um, Institution, and the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. They join in commemorating and encouraging the study, observance, and celebration of the vital role of women in American history. And so they have this website that you can definitely go to. It's www.womenshistorymonth.gov. But this time they're showcasing, you know, the power of sports, you know, because most especially with the Title IX and all that kind of stuff in our history of even women just participating in the competitive sports was such an issue. And we've come a long ways. And so they they have a museum. Of ex, well, they have the expedition of this until January the 7th next year at the National Archives Museum and it has stories and artifacts related to the women trailblazers in sports you know and so I see they said Billie Jean King is up there Athena what was it Athea Gibson she was a tennis player as well and then I always forget about Wilma Rudolph who was a big time runner sprinter I can't wait when the weather gets a little bit better I'm gonna take a trip me and Nate and we can go up to DC and visit you know yeah well a little bit of a shameless plug about Althea Gibson okay. um so I was visiting my cousins uh maybe last year when I was up there to see the at the Smithsonian African American Museum okay and my cousin goes, do you know dad is in the Smithsonian? And I'm like, no. So my father's first cousin, okay. his name was Dr. Hubert Eaton. Okay. He was a physician in Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay. Well, at the Smithsonian African American Museum, they have a picture of him and Althea Gibson. He had a tennis court uh, back in the day in Wilmington. And, you know, of course, it was very unusual for a black physician to have a tennis court, but he was a mentor. He played tennis. And so he was a mentor for Althea to come and play tennis. And then she also got in touch and they were friends too, Dr. Johnson, Bill Johnson, who was also a mentor, and he mentored Arthur Ashe. Okay. So, oh, wow. so when you go up there for the National Archives, go over, swing over to the African American Museum yes. and just go up to the sports area. Okay. And there's my father's first cousin, Dr. Hubert Eaton, a picture of him holding a tennis racket with um, Althea Gibson uh, holding a tennis racket. Oh. Too. So that's a little bit, of, little bit of black history. Yes, that's awesome. That yeah. is awesome. And I love going to, to that big, beautiful museum it's gorgeous, right yeah and they always have good food have you gone to I've the food i've never co- eaten in the ca- in the restaurant is it good yeah because they, they, say. they try to do different countries and different yes, yeah yeah different cuisines i have not eaten there yet oh yeah it's great that's on my bucket list it's great yeah 
But yeah, so that's a little bit of um, yeah. women's history. And so, D, what's the latest out there? What's the latest? Well, you know, as I have said, just when you think you can get your head out of the water that we're COVID hasn't gone away, but it's a lot better than it was. Mm-hmm. We now have a drug resistant and potentially deadly fungus mm. that has been spreading rapidly through U.S. healthcare facilities. A new government study finds the fungus, a type of yeast called Candida auris can cause severe illness in people with weakened immune systems. The number of people diagnosed with infections, as well as the number of those who were found through screening to be carrying Candida auris, has been rising at an alarming rate since it was first reported in the U- United States. Researchers from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention reported on Monday. The increases, especially in the most recent years, are really concerning. The study's lead author, Dr. Megan Lyman, chief medical officer at the CDC's mycotic diseases branch, mycotic is fungal diseases, said in an interview, we've seen increases not just in areas of ongoing transmission, but also in new areas. The CDC's new warning published in the Annals of Internal Medicine comes as the Mississippi Department of Health is fighting a growing outbreak of the fungus. Since November, at least 12 people have been infected with Candida auris, with four potentially associated deaths, the state epidemiologist, Dr. Paul Beyer, said in an email. There has been ongoing transmission at two long-term care facilities, although cases have been identified at several other facilities in the state. Unfortunately, multi-drug resistant organisms such as Candida auris have become more prevalent among our highest risk individuals, such as residents in long-term care facilities, Dr. Byers said. The fungus can be found on the skin and throughout the body. According to the CDC, it's not a real threat to healthy people, but about one third of people who become sick with Candida auris will die. Mm. In the CDC report, researchers analyzed state and local health department data on people sickened by the fungus from 2016 through December the 31st, 2021, as well as those who were colonized, meaning they were not ill, but they were carrying it on their bodies with the potential of transmitting it to others who might be more vulnerable. The number of infections increased by 59% to 756 from 2019 to 2020, and then an additional 95% to 1,471 in 2021. The researchers also found that the incidence of people not infected with the fungus but colonized increased by 21% in 2020 compared to 2019 and by 209% in 2021, with an increase to 4,041 in 2021 compared to 1,300 in 2020. Candida auris has now been detected in more than half of the United States. This new study found most concerning was the increasing number of fungus samples resistant to common treatments. Lyman hopes the paper will, will put Candida auris on healthcare providers' radar and spur facilities to practice good infection control. Mm. The new findings are worrisome, said Dr. Waleed Javid, an epidemiologist and infectious disease expert and director of infection prevention and control at Mount Sinai, downtown New York. But we don't want people who watch The Last of Us to think we're all going to die. This Mm. is an infection that occurs in extremely ill individuals who are usually sick with a lot of other issues. Even if Candida auris moves beyond healthcare facilities and into communities, It's unlikely to become a problem for healthy people who do not have invasive medical devices such as catheters inserted into their blood vessels, said Javed. The main problem is preventing the fungus from spreading to patients in hospital intensive care units. Unfortunately, Candida auris can colonize not only people who come in contact with the fungus, but also patient rooms. By its nature, it has an extreme ability to survive on surfaces. It can colonize walls. Mm tables, beddings, chairs. We clean everything with bleach and ultraviolet light. While the fungus first appeared, first identified in 2009 in Asia, 
Scientists have determined that Candida Rs first appeared around the world about a decade earlier after they re-examined older data and discovered instances where Candida Rs had been mistakenly identified as a different fungus. Dr. Graham Snyder, Medical Director of Infection Prevention at University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, said in an interview, it's the pattern we've observed with these types of pathogens, he said. Often they start out extremely rare then they emerge in more and more places and become widespread. It's important to stop the pathogen so it doesn't spread beyond hospitals and long-term facilities just like MRSA, methicillin, methicillin resistant staph aureus, which used to be one of those organisms, Vicki, that we would see on an outpatient basis in long-term care facilities. Uh -huh. And then it became part of the hospital. hospital I know, yeah, oh my God. So it's not unusual to see MRSA in the community Community now, because that was well, I, I, I misspoke. That was an organism that was just found in long-term care facilities, and then it spread to hospitals. But then it started to spread into the communities. Okay. And I remember the first case that I heard of of a five-year-old who had a swollen knee and infected knee that had MRSA. So mm. where did that come from? So it moves into the community. So it's not unusual to see MRSA in the community now. Will that happen with Candida auris? I don't know," said Dr. Snyder. That's partly why the CDC is raising the alarm. So there you have it. Something else for us to be concerned about. Again, it's not harmful for those people that are healthy, but, you know, just like COVID wasn't harmful to everybody that got it, but more so people that had underlying morbid conditions that made them more susceptible. So mm -hmm. I just think it's one of those kind of things that we have to continue to do surveillance. And certainly we have a, we have a case in our community now in the Valley. That's what's so important here mm -hmm. that in one of our tri county areas, there's a case of Candida auris. So we need to mm. be very vigilant. So wash our hands now. We'll, we'll, we'll my, we'll my spraying of my... You're, you know what? Don't throw that Lysol away. That's what I was saying. <laughs> I was going to say, will my Lysol work on it? <laughs> Do not throw your Lysol away. I got bleach washing too. washing your hands. I got bleach too. I'm ready. <laughs> you're ready. You're, you're always going to be ready. <laughs> Thank you, D, for that. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicki Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at Com. To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Well, today we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new? Hot Topics number 86. And so I'm going to start out here with our first article. Our first article is have type 2 diabetes switch to plant-based lower carb diet to boost lifespan. And this was written in Health Day News. It starts out as this. Here are some key takeaways when I finish with this article. It's going to be number one, those who have type 2 diabetes who ate Fewer carbs were more likely to live longer, but only if they turn to vegetables instead of meat, the new research shows. Number two takeaway, many low carb diets are heavy in meat and dairy, but people who ate that kind of food saw no survival advantage. 
Number three takeaway, experts noted that even those who scored high for a healthy, low-carb diet were still getting 40% of their calories from carbs. They were just good carbs, and that's the key. Let's start the article. Well, it says cutting some carbohydrates may help people with type 2 diabetes live longer as long as they are swapping sugar for vegetables instead of steak, the new research suggests. The study of more than 10,000 U.S. adults with type 2 diabetes found that those who ate uh, relatively fewer carbohydrates were less likely to die over the next 30 years versus those with a bigger taste for carbs. But the quality of those lower carb diets was key. People who ate a moderate amount of carbs but still fit in plenty of vegetables, fruit, fiber-rich grains, and beans tended to live longer versus people with higher-carb diets. Then there were the folks with lower-carb diets that were heavy in meat and dairy. They saw no such survival advantage. Experts said the findings published in April issue of diabetes care support a familiar piece of diet advice limit sugar and heavily processed foods and eat more plants more than 37 million americans have diabetes the vast majority of whom have the type 2 form according to the u.s centers for disease control and prevention type 2 diabetes arises when the body loses its sensitivity to the blood sugar regulating hormone insulin. The disease is often related to obesity and diet changes. Exercise and weight loss are cornerstones of managing it. Low carb diets are often promoted for weight loss and reining in blood sugar, but popular diets that strictly limit carbs like the keto diet are very hard to maintain over time said study author Yang Hu, a research associate at the Harvard T.H. Chang School of Public Health. Plus, who said, not all carbs are alike. Avoiding sugar and starchy foods like white bread and processed snacks makes sense, especially for people with diabetes. But there are a lot of healthy carbohydrates too, like vegetables and high fiber whole grains. Who said he and his colleagues wanted to look at the way people with diabetes are really eating over the long haul, including the quality of their carb choices. They turned to data from two long running studies of U.S. health professionals and zeroed in on over 10,000 participants who developed type 2 diabetes after the study started. Every few years, the participants filled out detailed dietary questionnaires from that whose team devised five different scoring systems. One was based on the simple amount of carbs people ate each day. The other four focused on the quality of people's lower carb eating patterns. Whether they still are healthy, ate healthy, plant-based carbs, or they favored meat and other animal products, for instance. Over a 30-year period, just under 4,600 study participants died, but those odds were lower among people whose diets were relatively lighter in carbs. When the researchers dug deeper into diet quality, only lower-carb diets high in plant foods appeared unprotective. People who scored in the top 20% for a healthy lower-carb diet that's rich in plant foods, light in sugar, and starch were about 30% less likely to die during the study period versus people who scored in the bottom 20%. It is important to point out that people's diets were not actually all that low in carbs, said Julie Stefanski, a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator. Even those who scored in the top 20% for restricting carbohydrates were typically getting about 40% of their daily calories from carbs. That's a lot more than strict low-carb diets allow. That loser outlook on carbs is also necessary to fit in. Enough nutrient-rich plant-based foods, said Stefanski, a sports person for the Academy of Nutrition and dietetics. We know that people with diabetes need to watch their carbohydrate intake, she said. But she added, it's also clear that high fiber, 
nutrient-rich plant foods have a host of health benefits. Stefanski noted that the study group was mostly white and composed of educated higher income health professionals. In the real world, many people managing type 2 diabetes cannot easily find and afford healthy, fresh food, right? There are ways to make it more feasible, Stefanski said, like buying frozen vegetables to have on hand. You can have a healthy low-carb breakfast, for instance, by mixing some spinach into eggs, she said. Ultimately, Stefanski said, there is no one-size-fits-all diet that works for everyone. People with diabetes who need help crafting a diet that is healthful, healthful, affordable, and palatable can ask their doctor for a referral to a dietitian, she said. Diet is only one part of the story, though. In this study, whose team found that the link between healthy eating and longer life was strongest among people who also exercised regularly, refrained from smoking, and kept alcohol consumption to moderate amounts. So what does this mean for you? Well, cutting carbs can help folks with type 2 diabetes live longer, but only if they substitute sugar and processed foods with vegetables instead of meat. So there we go. Back to plant-based eating. Yeah, ultimately, yeah. It comes back to that. Plant-based eating, yes. And most especially, you know, we always say low-carb diets, but, you know, eating, even if you do more instead of restricting to very low carbs, even if you do carbs, but if you pick the vegetables and the fruits and the and the high fiber, that adds to your longevity. Isn't that wonderful? That's great. I mean, we're we're like we always say we're digging our graves with our teeth. I mean, there's some <laughs> things, some genetics you can't run away from. Right. But there are some things that you can do, as we often bring out on this show, you know, and this, as he said, as they said, not there's not a one size fits all, but making changes in what you're doing, it's not working. That's not that's not working. And so that's and, why, and doing things that are sustainable. Sustainability. That's the key. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. that's why we always admonish people here at Vicido Fitness, you know, pick at least two or three days during the week where all day you are plant-based eating, you right. know, and that, that is really good. And that's one of the, the habits that the National Nutrition Month has told us to try doing, try to make two or three of our meals plant-based. Right. So exactly. that's that. So the next article, D, is so, talking, talking about what the U.S. effort to fight HIV worldwide yeah. has brought life-saving treatment Two millions, and that was written in Health Day News as well. Um, good news. Okay. Since it began in 2004, and I've been following this since that time, since it began in 2004, a global effort led by the United States to combat HIV has dramatically increased the number of people it helps, a new government report shows. In its report, the United States, the U.S. Center for Disease Control, CDC for Disease Control and Prevention, announced that the number of people receiving life-saving HIV treatment through the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, PEPFAR, has increased 300 times in under 20 years to more than 20 million people in 2022. PEPFAR started by former, and this was a good thing that he did. I mean, you have to give him, really have to give him the credit because he's the one who, who pushed a lot of money towards antiretroviral therapy. So former okay. President George Bush, okay. W. Bush, while he was in office, initially offered HIV antiretroviral therapy to just 66,500 individuals in 2004. But PEPFAR's efforts have dramatically altered the course of the global HIV epidemic. CDC Chief Medical Officer Dr. Deborah Hurry said in an agency news release, we must continue to build on this momentum if we are to eliminate HIV as a global public health threat by 2030. These investments are life save, are saving lives and creating a safer world for us. The statistics published in March 14th in the CDC publication, Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, as we call it, MMWR, showed the treatments are indeed working. The numbers of people receiving HIV treatment through PEPFAR with a viral load test who subsequently tested as virally suppressed also increased from 80 to 95% between 2015 
in 2022. This means their virus was under control thanks to the treatment, which can also prevent transmission to sexual partners and reduces the risk of transmission from mothers to children. The CDC works with partners on the ground in more than 50 countries to improve methods for finding, treating, and preventing HIV. It also supports more than 10,000 laboratories or testing sites worldwide, offering life-saving treatment and surveillance systems to enable countries to understand which geographic areas require urgent HIV-related services. Large CDC-supported households household surveys in six African countries severely affected by HIV found increases in population viral load suppression. That's what you want to do. Suppress the virus to where you cannot measure it. It's not a cure, but to where you cannot measure it. Between 2015 and 2021, according to the report, viral suppression rates improved in Eswatini. I don't know what that was called before. I have to look that up. Okay. Lesotho, and that's in South Africa. Okay. Malawi, Uganda, Zambia, and Zimbabwe. These increases in suppression rates ranged from a 13% increase in Lesotho to 19% increase in Malawi, the findings showed. But PEPFAR's goals are even more aspirational now. Its five-year strategy aims to eliminate HIV as a global public health threat by 2030. Since it began, PEPFAR's efforts have helped countries respond to their HIV epidemics and strengthen their public health systems, the CDC report noted. The agency reported that it has been at the forefront of PEPFAR's efforts to strengthen health systems and help countries improve their responses to HIV while also helping them prepare for future health threats. Some examples include efforts in Uganda to expand life-saving, and Uganda was on the forefront many years ago because I remember at University Hospitals of Cleveland, mm -hmm. many of my colleagues went over to Uganda when the AIDS HIV AIDS and ep epidemic started. And Uganda is one of the African countries who's made tremendous strides on HIV prevention and treatment. Since mm -hmm. it began, PEPFAR's efforts have helped countries respond to their HIV epidemics and strengthen their public health systems, the CDC report noted. The agency reported that it has been at the forefront of PEPFAR's efforts to strengthen health systems and help countries improve their responses to HIV while also helping them prepare for future health threats. Okay. Some examples include efforts in Uganda to expand life-saving health treatment that have prevented over 600,000 deaths related to HIV and nearly half a million HIV infections since 2004. In Eswatini, rates of new HIV infections were cut nearly in half, mm. and its national rate of HIV viral load suppression doubled between 2011 and 2016. In Nigeria, the number of people newly diagnosed with HIV who started treatment increased eightfold in just 18 months, despite the ongoing pandemic. Several groups still lag behind due to health inequities fueled by stigma and discrimination. Among those with lagging viral suppression rates are pregnant, and breastfeeding women, children, adolescents, and people living in prisons, the CDC said. Men also had lower viral load suppression than women, and young people had lower viral low suppression compared to older people. And there are, you know, several postulated reasons for that. Number one, with the lower viral suppression in women, women may have a tendency to come in and get checked out, mm. you know, so that they get treated earlier, detection earlier. Mm -hmm. And or young people had lower suppression compared to older people. You know, well, young people think that they're invincible. Sometimes they may not come in and be identified till later on. So there are, you know, it's multifactorial, all these reasons, but looking at these statistics, mm -hmm. um, Vicki, mm -hmm. these are almost better than the United States. Wow. And you know, what happened in Africa was mm -hmm. when the HIV epidemic started, I remember being in on the ground floor with this, when it started to spread in, in the United States, it was usually men who had sex with men. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the hemophiliacs were affected and so forth. But then it started to spread in Africa and it was more heterosexual. Mm -hmm. And people over in this country kind of ignored that, you know, oh, well, whatever. Well, then it came over here that it was more, it was becoming also heterosexual spread. But in Africa, so many people died because they didn't have available to them a lot of the medications. So a lot of the government, the, a lot of the countries, 
the governments got together and said, you know, we, we're it's wiping out really seriously wiping out huge segments of our population, and they just couldn't have that. Okay. So they really those countries that I mentioned, and particularly Uganda, which I'm more uh, familiar with, uh-huh. they got on the bandwagon and said, oh no, we got to stop this. So you see what's been done. Kudos yes. to them. I know. I know. Yeah. Kudos to them. Yeah. So how long has it been since we were worried about AIDS? How long has it been now? Ooh, the first case was identified in 1981. Wow. The report came out in the New England Journal of Medicine that cases of this strange immunodeficiency kind of disease, they were getting this infection that we only saw in patients who were severely immunosuppressed on like cancer chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. But these are people who didn't have cancer. And the commonality ultimately became that they were all patients or individuals men who had sex with men Mm. and that's what got it started so 1981 so over 40 years wow and look how far it's come though yep yep and you know now as we've talked on this show because of early detection and a lot of the programs that are uh, made available in this in the united states particularly Mm -hmm. we have pills now to prevent it and shots now to prevent Mm. uh we call pre-exposure prophylaxis Mm -hmm. so i mean technically there technically shouldn't be a new case of hiv aids detected in this country technically period 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 so we have to um, admonish folks to know their right. status. You need to know, again, your facts, your numbers, your status. And I have to admit that a lot of doctors have been part of the problem because they don't ask the right questions and they don't offer patients or say, well, you know, well, let me send you to an infectious disease specialist to get you started on PrEP. So a lot of the ball dropping has occurred right in the medical community. So we can't blame the victims. Yes. We have to start with the medical community not being aware and not being vigilant in sending patients so that they can get tested so they can or and if they're positive get them on treatment if they're negative and they're high risk get them on prep so Mm -hmm. good so yeah this is this is great to look and see how our um, political folks because you know we always complain about how they be messing up but they were together with the scientists you you have to give bush his props, and he started this by, you know, what he only has 65,000 earlier, but it has mushroomed. And even since he's been out of office, he's been a big advocate of PEPFAR because he kind of always looked at that as his baby. Okay. So, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. That's it. That's it. We're going to just end with the last one. D does Wagovi, does it mm-hmm. shrink muscle mm-hmm. mass? And could you mm-hmm. end that for us? So, the new drug, and we've heard about it on newscasts and, and and, and so forth. So does Wegovi, which is a semiglutide that you've heard about um, that originally was used for patients who were diabetic, mm-hmm. um, does Wegovi shrink muscle mass? It does, but that's not unexpected or dangerous, obesity experts say. While ozempic face may still dominate headlines around the potential side effects of semiglutide Wegovi or Ozempic and other popular new weight loss drugs, social media has started to raise questions about whether losing muscle mass is yet another complication. One physician claimed in an Instagram post that almost every patient we put on this drug has lost muscle mass at a rate that alarms me. But endocrinologists and obesity medicine specialists interviewed by MedPage today said that while muscle loss can occur, it's not unique to or more dramatic with semaglutide or its GLP-1 antagonist drug class broadly. Muscle mass loss is part and parcel to losing weight, period, said Amy Rothberg, MD of the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, who is also a spokesperson for the Endocrine Society. So in the context that semiglutide helps people lose weight, they're going to lose muscle mass, as they do when most people lose weight. Mm -hmm. But you lose muscle mass irrespective of the modality, whether that's diet and exercise, bariatric surgery, or medicine, she said. Mm -hmm. Carl Nedelowski, an endocrinologist and obesity medicine specialist at Holland Hospital in Michigan, echoed that all weight loss interventions result in some lean mass loss. Lean mass loss includes muscle loss, but also includes things like fluid loss, Mm -hmm. Nedelowski said. He pointed to subgroup data from the main clinical trials of semaglutide 
the step one study, looking at 95 people who were on the drug and 45 people who were taking placebo, all of whom had scans to monitor their body mass. Mm -hmm. On average, those on the drug lost 10.4% of their fat mass and 6.9% of their lean body mass, while those on placebo lost 1.2 of their fat mass and 1.5% of their lean body mass. The placebo group lost almost 50% more lean mass than fat mass, Nadolsky noted. While the data show that there is indeed lean mass loss with the drug, the percentage of fat mass loss to lean mass loss is favorable. Rothberg noted that the study wasn't powered to assess this outcome, but she said very generally speaking that with weight loss, people lose fat mass to lean mass at a ratio of two, two to one. This certainly varies by age, gender, and physical conditioning, she said, but the step one data appear to fall within those parameters. Nadolsky said with any weight loss intervention, physicians should aim to minimize muscle mass loss as much as possible, as it's beneficial for metabolic health and prevention and treatment or treatment of comorbidities, including type 2 diabetes. That means encouraging, as you continue to say over the years, mm -hmm. resistance training. Mm -hmm. And anyone who is working to lose weight, it's critical to have patients who are trying to lose weight focus on building muscle. Semiglutide and newer weight loss drugs should also be reserved for people who truly have obesity and overweight, not just anyone who wants to lose a few pounds, Rothberg and Nadolsky said. Some people just want to lose a little weight, but we shouldn't give it to people who don't need it, Nadolsky said. Mm. The benefits outweigh the risk in people who have obesity or overweight, especially when it's complicated by cardiovascular disease, mm -hmm. sleep apnea, or other conditions. Nadolsky noted that even with the lean mass loss, seen with weight loss from semiglutide. Trials have shown other benefits such as improvements in blood pressure, lipids, and glycemic control. All of those parameters improve with the weight loss regardless of how much lean mass they lost. We shouldn't be scaring away people who have obesity mm -hmm. and obesity-related complications from using this drug. But all the things that they have said are things that you continue to say, we continue to say even before the semiglutide craze it came, came along. Yes, yes. And losing weight, you have, you're going to lose muscle mass and you more than anybody are the expert on that if you care to comment as we yes, yes. finish and, out. And that's why we always say, you know, people go, okay, so I'm losing weight. It doesn't matter whether you starve yourself, where you're on some drugs to help you, or you're doing diet, restricted diet or what have you. You are going to lose weight and your metabolism will slow down. And we don't want that. Why will your metabolism slow down? Because it's less of you. <laughs> You're losing that, right? So it's less of you. So we do things to not only strengthen you, but also to get that muscle tone as much as we can to keep it and to increase your metabolism so that you will be in that fat burning mode. Okay, so strength training is just always important part of losing weight and so that's why when people always will ask me well what about ozempic well ozempic i mean that's that's great because some people really have to be just like some people have to do the bariatric surgery i mean, I mean right. people some people have to do you know they're they no other way they tried the habits they just can't do the lifestyle habits and so the doctor yes will put them on that especially if you type 2 diabetic but you use that to jumpstart and keep with your diet habit of healthy eating and exercise. And your exercise should include aerobics and strength training. There you go. There you go. Yes. So we know what we we need to do. We just got to do it, huh? Exactly. As in everything. Exactly. Just with everything. We know what we got to do. Everything. Exactly. Yes. And guess what? The doctors, hey, the doctors, they, they are prescribing these, uh, you know, Ozempic and these drugs now. So they got to make sure they don't just give it to the celebrities. Exactly. And, you know, as they say on, on the news, those people who really need it are having a hard time trying to find it. Yes. So we, don't, we certainly don't want that to happen. No, we don't want that to happen. No, I mean, we don't want people who are size four that think they should be a size two. <laughs> That's not for you. No. no.
That's right. That's right. No, no. Why? And then it has side, every medicine has some type of side effect. The side right. effects aren't exactly. that great for that right. either. Right. We're not helping you to become a runway model. That is not the purpose of that drug. Or it, they've, I've read a study saying that they're having um, people that are having a eating disorder with that, meaning they're using right. the Ozempic and all this stuff and not eating. So now that's become a disorder. Isn't that exactly. crazy? Exactly. I said, right. we, we're just humans. We always want to do extreme. We can't and just do have, balance. You know, as people get older, you know, not to say that things can't happen to younger people and so forth, but as you get older, people have to remember that you can't be messing around too much with electrolytes and all these kind of weird and funny things after you get over the age of 50, because yes. your body is kind of like, mm -mm. you know, it can't take a whole lot of, you know, drastic changes in a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people have to be careful. They got to be careful. Well, Dee, you know, this ends our show. We can go on and on. I know. But do you have some tips, A lot of good Dee? stuff today. Um, the first is, um, you know, about. you talked about the switch to plant-based, low-carbohydrate diet. I'm going to go back to the takeaways. Yes. First, those with type 2 diabetes who ate fewer carbs were more likely to live longer. Mm -hmm. But only if they turn to vegetables yes. um, instead of meat, mm -hmm. the new research showed. Mm -hmm. Number two, many low-carb diets were heavy in meat and dairy. But people who ate that kind of food saw no survival advantage. Mm -hmm. And lastly, experts noted that even those who scored high for a healthy low-carb diet were still getting 40% of their calories from carbs. They were just good carbs but the bottom line as you read was getting back again to plant-based and as you pointed out at least make one day or two days out of the week plant-based diet plant plant-based menu yeah just plant-based eating i mean plant -based eating. and your your body will just love you for it i'm telling exactly. you exactly it will love and then you the for next it. thing the, the the continued fight worldwide has brought life-saving treatment to millions particularly we talked a lot about the african countries that have made huge strides i mean we've made good really good strides in this country but the african countries mm. thanks to pepfar has made tremendous strides in HIV prevention and treatment. The new wonder drugs, supposedly, <laughs> um, the semiglutides, the Wagovi and Ozempic. You know, as you have continued to say with all kinds of things, drugs, be it drugs, or these are jumpstart medications. Certainly the, the original reason for using them, of course, were pa patients who had type two diabetes. Mm -hmm. And those are the individuals that should be thought about first and foremost, because as we know, as we've talked about many times on this show, diabetes is mm. a silent killer. Vicki, mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many, I was just thinking the other day, mm -hmm. and I'm not embellishing the story. Mm -hmm. I would say I covered one of my colleagues this past week, four days, out of 30 patients that I had, I would say a third of them were diabetics. And wow. I would venture to say that 25% of those had diabetic foot infections. Oh, wow. It's just crazy. It's just insane. And the amputations and oh, wow. all of this, it's just insane. We may need to have a bigger, bigger effort on this, but you know, mm -hmm. when you think about it, mm -hmm. There's not a lot of incentive for people to be healthy. And that's a subject for a whole nother. That's difference. a whole dissertation. So people uh, are benefiting. Everything else. Everybody's benefiting. Who's benefiting. Who's benefiting? And it's usually so, not us. Who's benefiting? So there's no incentive. Everybody, including myself, mm -hmm. Dr. Doe, we're all benefiting from people being sick. But I mean, this, the diabetic foot infections that I'm seeing are just out of control. So anyway, getting back to Wagovi, it does shrink muscle mass, but it isn't anything that helps you lose weight. You're going to lose that. And as you have always said, you got to increase your resistance training and exercise. That's it. We had a great show, D. And did. Oh, I did forget. No, let's be aware of Candida auris, the fungal organism that's out there. We have one in our valley. And as when you have one, just like we started out with MRSA many, many years ago, 
it will continue to grow. You know, we will continue to find it in long-term care facilities and then in more hospitals and then hopefully, God forbid, in the community. Part of the problem is it's multi-drug resistant. And, you know, uh. we're going to have to play catch up to try to find more powerful antifungal drugs that don't have a lot of side effects. So this is this has the potential for being very challenging for those of us that are infectious disease specialists. All right. Well, hey, we will definitely keep our hands washed. Definitely. Wash our hands. That's it. They've been talking about washing hands since 1843. We have not gotten the message yet. Okay, 1843. well, that's a long time. We, we, like my mom used to say, you hard headed. What's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> we obviously are. We are hard headed, but that's okay. Are. That's okay. We will continue to wash our hands. We will try to do some plant based eating this week. And absolutely. Yes. And we will get back to our exercising, doing a little bit of aerobic and strength training. So this yes. is going to be a great week for us moving forward. Right, D? Absolutely. Yes. And as always, for more information, go to our website, vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com. <laughs>